0: I want us to focus on verse 17 in particular. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it isn't for them. And we want to talk a little bit about what is known as sin of omission. That is, things that God has called us to do, which we fail to do. Sorry, this thing's fine. With that in mind, let's uh, let's open once again with prayer. Father God, we confess to you, um, as we just did, that sometimes we take sin lightly. That we don't fully bear the weight of what it means to follow your commands, to love one another as you've called us to. Father, in this season of Lent, as we prepare ourselves to walk with you, to participate with you on the cross and to rise with you in triumph. I pray that your spirit would shine bright your light into each and every one of our hearts, that we may be convicted, and that in our conviction that we may fall on the rock and receive mercy and grace. To that end, we ask that your spirit would do what your spirit alone can do through the preaching of your word. Jesus, name we pray, Amen. It is a season of Lent. Lenten is a serious season. It's a time for us to ask God to shine His light upon us. Self-reflection is very important for the season of Lent. Self-reflection is difficult, however. Self-reflection works best if we are willing to be honest with ourselves. And as Pastor in a couple of weeks ago mentioned. There's a tendency in all of us to justify ourselves in our own eyes, right? We tend to, uh, we, we, we want to excuse away our, our lack of good deeds in our life. We want to excuse away why we fail to do what we do. And, and that tendency is what we really need to struggle with during the season of Lent. That tendency to justify ourselves before God is we just need to let that go in the season. Ask God to shine His light, and if done rightly, if done by the grace of God in um, the power of the Spirit, we we reflect deeply on our own brokenness. Um, we don't feel condemned. That's the wonderful thing about this: is that if done properly, we don't feel broken and condemned. We feel liberated because the right kind of conviction leads us to the rock of Jesus Christ to to fall on that rock for grace and mercy every sunday morning we as a church community we as a faith community take time to confess our sins together and i just want to let you know we don't read it out loud just to confess to god what we do during that time of prayer confession is we are confessing to one another as well it is a time of public confession and what we confess to god are about sins that we commit we there's a line in there that says the sins that um, that everyone knows that we commit, and there are sins that no one knows that we commit, right? All of us have sins that are more public than others, but there are sins that are hidden and only we're aware of, right, that we do our best to keep covered. Those are the sins that we confess to God every Sunday morning. There are sins that are a burden to us, and the sins that we've gotten so accustomed to that they're not a burden to us, Right? And those are the kinds of sins that we call sins of commission, things that we do. God's command to us, God's command to us as his people come to us in two ways. One, it comes to us in a negative way, as in a prohibition, right? Eight of the Ten Commandments come in this way, right? What are some of the more uh, well-known commandments in the Ten Commandments? Just go ahead and say them out loud. Don't murder. Thou shalt not. Remember the famous thou shalt not. Do not murder. Those are negative commands. They're they're prohibitions. They're telling us what we ought not to do. Eight of the Ten Commandments come in that way. And when we do something that God commands us not to do, that is called the sin of commission, right? When we steal, when we cheat, when we lie, when we have idols in our hearts other than God, we are committing sin. And, And we confess those sins every Sunday. But we also confess sins of omission, things that God commands us to do, and yet we fail to do. And that's actually our prayer confession. Can I borrow that orange sheet real quick? That's actually the majority of our prayer confession time together focuses on the things that we fail to do. For instance, so we say we have not loved one another as Christ loved us, right? That's just our failure to do something. We have not forgiven one another as, Christ, as we have been forgiven. That's a failure to, to do something. We have not given ourselves in love and service for the world as Christ gave himself for us. So every Sunday we come together and we confess before God and, to, and before one another our sins of omission. The things that God have commanded us to do, have willed, us, willed for us to do, actually created us and prepared us. Good work for us to do, which we fail to do, and every Sunday we come before God confessing these things, sins of omission. So today I want to focus on the sin of, uh, sin of omission a little bit, and why, for many of us, it's actually a, a bigger issue than the sin of commission. Um. You know, Pastor Jen talked about, she asked the question, how many of us feel like we're really bad people? And I think most of us, and I, I'm, I am looking at you and trying to gauge where we are, most of us are fairly decent citizens as far as I'm aware. And I'm sure some of you have little bad habits here and there that no one knows about, but generally we're good people. So I think there's a sense that in, in the area of since the commission, you know, We don't lie as frequently. I think most of us in here try, at least, to be honest. I I don't think we have habitual liars in our group. We don't cheat regularly. We don't steal. And we definitely don't murder, right? And most of us are faithful to our spouses. Most of us are loving to our parents. And we try to honor God on the Sabbath by worshiping and gathering together. So in the areas of sins of commission, we we don't really step outside in really blatant ways. There's a sense of comfort, and, and we feel like we're okay. But where I think we really fall short is in the sin of omission. And that God calls us for so much more in this life, which we fail to live up to, and for various reasons. And that's where I want us to look at. And I want you to, when you get a chance, read that little blurb. I don't know if you know this. There is a little blurb um, <laughs> under your bulletin, okay? And I know I, I would say about half the time, When I have to write this, I try to write it quickly and just be done with sort of my responsibilities. But the last few blurbs, I really try to spend some time on giving you something that's worth taking home with. And I read a quote by Martin Luther, and you'll notice that I really believe that the failure to do the right things at times has larger consequences than when we do the wrong thing. And I really want you to believe that. The failure to do the right things often has bigger consequences than when we do the wrong thing. And I think many of us, when when our time in this life is over, coming to an end, I think we will regret the things that we did not do more so than the wrongs that we did do. And so I really want to impress upon all of us the importance of of feeling this weight of doing what God has called us to do. Having, in the bigger sense, a a bigger vision for what life can mean. Having a deeper sense of conviction of how our time should be spent, how our resources should be spent. And, and, and really live our life to the fullest because God commands us to be fruitful. God commands us. Just as Jesus went to that fig tree that was rooted and alive but had no fruit, and he cursed it. He says, you ought to have fruit because you have roots and you are alive but there's no fruit. And he, and he cursed that fig tree on his way to Jerusalem. So if our lives are barren, if our lives are not fruitful the way God intended to us, we ought to feel the weight of that. And that's what the sin of omission is, is sin of omission is that i want to i want to take this passage from james today and just to really kind of zero in on some of the uh, reasons why i think it's easy for us to fall into sin of omission that is not doing the things that we ought to do and then one practical application at the end to see to to try to grow in this area sanctification is both avoiding sin and pursuing god's righteousness so i want to make five observations about uh, about Uh, the sin of omission today, um, from James primarily, but also from other passages. So the first thing I want to talk about, a first observation I want to make, and one that I've sort of been doing in this introduction, is that not doing what we know we ought to do is a real sin. And it is something that God will hold us accountable for. I really want you to hear this. Not doing what we know we ought to do is a real sin, and God will hold each one of us accountable, and us as a group accountable for it. Now, why do I say this? Because I often, I really believe, and this is my tendency, that when I commit a sin of commission, when I do something wrong, when I do something that I shouldn't do, there's clarity on my wrongness. If I lie to Esther, I know I lied. And there's something concrete, there's this weight of guilt that I can see, I can name it, and I can sort of identify with it, and I can confess it before God and deal with it. I can see the consequences of it. The sin of omission is a little more nebulous, right? Because there are a million possibilities of good things that we ought to do, and there's always tomorrow, so it's a little bit more open-ended, and we don't take seriously when we fail to say a word of rebuke or say a word of encouragement when we're convicted to, right? How many of us have ever gone home from church saying, I sinned before God because I did not speak that word that I should have spoken, right? Rarely. And that's what Martin uh, Luther King Jr. talks about in that quote I gave you, right? It's the silence of the good people that this generation that he's talking about when, when he was doing the civil rights will be condemned for. And and we don't really feel that because there isn't clarity of conviction. And so what I want to tell you is God holds us accountable for the good things that he commands us to do, which we do not do. Now, a great illustration of this is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. It is a story of the sheep and the goats. And I don't want to go into it because um, uh, in the summer we're going to be actually doing a whole series on parables of Jesus. This is not a, really a parable... Proper, but it is a story of, uh, of, that Jesus tells about Judgment Day. And in this uh, passage, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus describes the end of days like um, uh, he likens it to a shepherd who gathers the animals and separates the sheep and the goats, right? You guys kind of heard of the story a little bit? It's Judgment Day. He gathers the people, and he says he separates them as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep, to the ones on his right, he commends them, saying... You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison and when I was sick. So blessed are you. Enter into the, the reward. Enter into the kingdom that God has prepared for you. Enter into your rest that God has prepared for you. And then they say, When, Lord? When do we do these things? But I want you to follow with me, verse 41, and hear what Jesus says. And I, I hope this convicts you because it convicts me deeply. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. Into eternal, f- cursed. Yes, I'm a pastor, so I can't say curse. I say cursed. Depart from me, you who are cursed, I'll say cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay? So whatever this group has done, he is now grouping them together with the devil and his angels. So this is Jesus' way of saying this is serious. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, and underline this in your Bibles, whatever you did not do. For the one of the least of these you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Most of us are fixated on the sins that we commit. But rarely do we realize that there are things that God wants us to do that we fail to do. And on judgment day, God will hold us accountable. Depart from me, he says, because whatever we did not do, whatever we did not do, for the least of those around us, Jesus says, you did not do for me. Jesus condemns the people on Judgment Day. He holds them accountable for not only what they did, but what they failed to do. Sin of omission is serious. It is serious. I, 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 that's, that's really, if anything, I want us to come away from today's message feeling the weight of, of what it means to have God speak to us. To, to call us to a life and fail to live that life. Now, for those of us who are parents, we know this well, right? We know this well. It's intuitive. It's not, it's not something unusual. It's not something unusual. When we as parents tell our children, when we tell our children to do something, we don't distinguish between positive commands and negative commands and then say, well... If you disobey my negative commands like thou shalt not eat junk food before dinner or thou shalt not watch TV on school night, okay, when you disobey these things, then you're really disobeying me. But if I give you a positive command like clean your room, do your chores, and you don't do those, then well, it doesn't really matter. We don't make that distinction. When, when, I, when I tell my kids to clean their room... And they don't clean it. I I take it seriously, right? I mean, well, Esther takes it seriously, no. Uh, Elizabeth's laughing. I'm the nice parent, right, Elizabeth? Yes. Uh, It's embarrassing. My kids, my kids, seriously, to talk to each other. I'm the, I'm the weak link in the, in the parent discipline area. Hit the weak link. Go to dad, you know. I, got, I just got to tell you this. This is, this is to my shame. You know, I grounded, I, I, I know this sounds weird, but I, I grounded Nathan. This, this, I know this is, I should have talked to him. But this is bad. It's not in my notes, and I'm going, like, breaking every rule of preaching here. But, yeah, this is going. But, I, but Nathan did something that I was not happy with, so I grounded him, okay? And uh, one of his is that so he couldn't hang out with his girlfriend, okay? And this was on, what day was it, Thursday night? Okay, I think it was Thursday night. Thursday night, I grounded him. Well, Saturday, he calls me and says, hey, Dad, can I hang out with my girlfriend? I'm like, how, what kind of weak will do you think that I have? That two days after I ground you, that you would really think that I would cave in before second house and go, okay, no, no. I, just kidding. I didn't. Um, I held firm. I got to have some credibility left uh, when, for the days when I became a grandparent. Uh, no, but for us as parents, you know, we are just as annoyed or disappointed when our children fail to do the things that we ask them to do as much as when they do something that we ask them not to do, right? Is it not? Do we, do we make distinctions? Then, Then why would we think God is... Any different when, when God commands us to do something, he will hold us accountable and he cares about it and I, I want us to feel the full weight of that in our life so uh, points two, three, and four are, are sort, of, sort of I want to make a couple of observations about why sin of omission is a vulnerable thing for us, why we are susceptible to sort of fall in to the sin of or commit the sin of omission, or fall into this mindset that allows us to not do the things that God has caused us to do and feel okay about it, okay? Um, and I, I'll preface by saying that these are things that are very, very uh, applicable to me, probably more so than any one of you. So please know that I am preaching foremost to myself, but to you as well, but don't, don't tune me out saying, well, as long as Sam hears himself, that's fine. This is also for you. But I, I just want to say, these are things I struggle with as well, very much so. First, one of the reasons, so this is the second point, but first in this subset of points, in case you think I'm like losing my count of points and going to go forever into the five-point loop. No, it's not. Uh, one of the reasons we are susceptible to the sin of omission is the principle of manana for those of you whose Spanish isn't sharp, it's the principle of tomorrow, that I will always have tomorrow to do what I know I should do, right? Can I get an amen for that? You want to give me an amen a little bit later? No, uh, this, is, this is a perpetual challenge for us. Here's why. You feel convicted to do something. I feel convicted to... Uh, Invite Gene over and encourage him, okay? So I feel this is something that the, that the Holy Spirit is convicting me to do. I feel convicted that I need to invite Gene over for lunch or hang out and encourage him, right? But my schedule is packed, so what do I say? I said, well, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to call Gene and email him. And then tomorrow gets packed. I said, well, you know, I, I, I will do it next week. And when next week is busy, I'll say... You know what? My life is just so busy right now, but as soon as the kids graduate, um, and for me, I mean, that's a couple of months away when Nathan graduates, or in the summer when I have a little break, that's when I'll go. Always, we have this tendency to push off the things that we know we ought to do to tomorrow, and, and we don't feel like we're disobeying God. We just feel like we're delaying the things that we ought to do. There is always tomorrow in which we can do the good things that I feel like I ought to do, right? Amen? I mean, this is me. I li- I'm just laughing because this is me. I live in the perpetual tomorrow. As long as tomorrow exists, I feel like I can push off anything that I need to do, right? I mean, my friends know, I- sometimes it takes me months to get a simple thing done. I am a procrastinator to the nth degree, and I will blame it on my genes. It's my temperament and my disposition that makes me more susceptible to procrastination. I'm not blaming it. It's not an excuse, Okay. Don't hear me saying, I was made this way, I was created this way, and I'm not saying that, but my temperament, which is my disposition, is such that I I like to have my options open, and I can't, closure is hard for me. Where some of you, if you don't finish one thing, you can never move on to the next thing, so your procrastination is not as much of a struggle, but it is for me. So tomorrow is always there for us to think that we can always do something tomorrow that which should be done today. Proverbs three twenty seven twenty eight 28 makes this clear. Proverbs three twenty seven twenty eight. 28. Make a note of this. This is a great proverb for you to have in your mind if you're struggling with procrastination, okay? It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, Come back tomorrow and I will give it to you when you already have it with you. In other words, I think one of the things that we need to realize about, <clears throat> about the good works that God calls us to do is that there is also a sense of urgency and timing. Okay? Delaying, delaying in our obedience to God is the same as disobedience. God tells us that when it is in your power to act, when you are convicted to do something, do it don't push it off till tomorrow don't think that you have a lifetime to do good if there's something that you care about i remember having this conversation with with a, a member at our church about you know what are the things that that you're passionate about what are the causes that you care about and this person talked about a social justice cause that was important to him and and and, and But in, in our conversation, I discerned something in him that said, I, this is something that's really important to me, to me, and I will really devote myself to it when I retire from my job. And I, and I challenged him. I said, well, why? Why wait till you retire? Maybe that won't be a cause anymore. Maybe you won't have the resources. Why wait till tomorrow what you can do today? And so I want to challenge every one of you. There will always be reasons why we can't do something today, right? We're too busy. My work is too consuming. I'm not in the financial shape that I should be in. I don't have enough stability. I'm not in good health. It doesn't matter because you don't know what tomorrow brings. Are you sure you're going to be healthier a year from now? Are you sure you're going to be in a better financial situation? Are you sure you're not going to be as busy as you will be? For all of you parents who have younger kids, well, when my kids are a little bit older, you know, I'm sure when they're a little more independent, I'll have more time. I promise you, it doesn't really work that way. When I'm married and settle down and we have a house, when I have a good job, then I'll be able to. No, don't push off till tomorrow what you can do today. So, this idea that tomorrow is always there is one of the reasons why we become susceptible to pushing off things. You know what? And when we push things off enough, you know what really happens. We don't really get around to it. You know that invitation that I meant to send out to Gene to have lunch with him? Well, you know what? Six months later, it's not going to happen. And and, and I'm telling you, I have have dozens of these failed things that I failed to do in my life, good intentions, because I waited thinking I could do it another day. And I, I need to feel the weight of that in my life. I need to see that as a serious moral failure, not just, oh, well, you know, it was, he meant to, but things got busy. We need to feel the weight of that as a moral failure and as a sin before God when we know the good we ought to do and we fail to do it. Now, the second thing, I think you saw this a little bit, is um, that I mentioned, too, is the, the, the second reason that we are susceptible to the sin of mission is that we lack clarity, let me see, um, well, let me, I'm going to switch order a little bit, is, well, no, I'm going to come back to this, but the root of it is about when we say we'll do tomorrow, part of it is that we think we have control of tomorrow. And at the heart of all of this is arrogance and pride. And that's what James says. It's really our arrogant attitude toward God that prevents us from really feeling the weight of our sins. But the second reason, the first is the tomorrow principle, is the manana principle. I will always have tomorrow to do this. And that's what prevents us from following through on the, Convictions that places on our hearts to do something. A second reason is that we, we lack clarity and conviction about what it is that God wants us to do. How many guys feel this way? You know, uh, we just, you know, there's like a million possibilities of good things. I can't possibly do all of them. I know God's not calling me to do all of them. So how do I know what is the good thing that God is calling us to do, right? Because James 17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, so there's an assumption here that the guilt that the responsibility and the guilt that comes with the sin of omission is for those who know the good they ought to do. Okay, and so I think part of our struggle in our generation is that we have lost ability to know the good that we ought to do. And and I want to this I, I struggle with this point the most in preparing this message because this thing can kind of evolve into so many different issues about why we don't know the good we ought to do. I just wanna I just wanna focus on two little subpoints of this. One of the fundamental reasons, I, and I, I used, I, listening to myself preach, I, I use the word fundamental a lot, I realize. But I think everything is fundamental to me. But I really believe this. One of the fundamental reasons why we don't, um, we are so sort of clueless on what it means to do the good works that, that we ought to do or the good works that God has created us to do, because we have absolutely disengaged faith in good works. We have, made the, we have made the error uh, growing up in our sub, uh, uh, suburban evangelical culture that we have completely uh, made a dichotomy between faith and works where it should have never been separated. Faith and works, as it is in the Bible, as it is in the book of James, are never two different things. They're always two sides of the same coin. There is no faith in God without good works. It never has and never will be. Okay, But for some reason, by trying to emphasize that we are justified by faith alone, which is biblical, which is true, that we are justified by faith alone, which is biblical and absolutely true, by trying to emphasize that, we sort of downgraded the role of good works in our life, downgraded the importance of works in our life to our own detriment. The biblical vision of faith is that it always manifests itself in a changed life. And and James makes the point, right? Was Abraham, Father Abraham, not considered righteous, not just because he believed, but why? Because he offered up Isaac. His his faith produced action, produced fruit. And so there is this fundamental truth of of the Bible is that when we follow Jesus Christ, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, it's not just believing in our head that Jesus is the Son of God, because James tells us even the demons believe that and shudder. It's not just acquiescing in our minds and in our heads that Jesus Christ died for my sins, but it is actually putting our faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again, and now that the Spirit of God lives in me. And when, you put that, when that faith is true and alive, it produces works in our life. It produces fruit. And just as Jesus condemns the, the fig tree that did not bear fruit, so our faith is dead, James tells us, if there is no works to verify that it is alive what am i saying this is to simply say we grew up in a culture where good works was optional okay most of us grew up where what was most important is that you believe the right thing we emphasized believing the right thing you believe the right thing you're good it doesn't matter how you live or how short uh how your life falls short of the standards that god demands from us who follow him He says, as long as you believe and know the right thing, you're okay. And by overemphasizing this, okay, we have basically made good works or how we live secondary in our Christian faith. And it never was secondary. It mattered to people how we live. In every New Testament, in all the letters of the New Testament, how we live is important. It's all the implications of our faith is born by how we live our lives. All of the ethical imperatives in the New Testament are directed at how we ought to live, and yet we disregard them as if they don't matter as long as we just believe the fundamental first step that Jesus Christ died for me or, or whatever your first most important thing is. As long as we have that in our head, how we live afterwards it doesn't matter. And if we are good, that's optional. And it's this mindset that we have to deconstruct. It is this Mindset that we have to move away from and embrace, saying to ourselves, "Faith that is alive produces work in me. Faith that is alive causes me to pursue righteousness." So that's one of the reasons why we have such a hard time understanding the role of good works, why we think it's really optional in our life. Okay, there is a reason for it. There's a reason why we feel that why we struggle in this area the way we do. It's the way we were taught and, and the way we grew up. And the second thing that I think we've struggled, the reason we struggle with this is that we become biblically illiterate more and more. More and more our culture is becoming um, a, a, a um, people of feelings and emotions and subjective sort of interpretation. We become less rooted in what the Bible teaches us about what the ideal life is and and. Instead, we sort of begin to live in our own imaginations, and we begin to sort of shape our own values and virtues. And uh, we, we've lost, we've become more biblically literate, but that's not the only thing. We can You can still be very uh, into the Bible, but we've lost the art of hearing God's voice and cultivating deep convictions. Let me say this. I, I think this is so, so important. I think... The challenge for many of us, many of us today living in 21st century evangelicalism right now, that's you and me, okay? One of the things that we've, we've learned, we've lost how to do, okay, is to listen to God, to hear God's voice in our hearts, in our inner voice, the, in the inner spirit, in our hearts, to listen to God's voice through the word and through community and through, um, uh, uh, through others, and through the Spirit, and allow that voice to form deep convictions. I, I think we become a people of weak convictions. Weak convictions. We, you know, think think about this. I'm not. I'm not saying this is right, but think about this. Back in the days of Reformation, one of the things that people were willing to kill each other over was the mode of baptism, right? Now, I say this kind of jokingly because one of the challenges as we gather together as a church is that First Harvest Chapel uh, is a Christian Reformed church. So they're in the Reformed tradition, so they do infant baptism. We belong to the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we do baby dedication, right? And then jokingly, Rick asked when we we're gathering, he says, what's the difference between baby dedication and infant baptism? And there really is no difference other than you just don't sprinkle the water and say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that makes all the difference, right, theologically. But here's the thing. There was a day and time when people cared about something like that. When the mode of baptism was so important that you're willing to lay your life for that conviction. Or, or what it means for the elements in communion. To, to Is it the real body of Christ? Is it a symbolic body? I mean, there was a time when people cared about these things enough to go to war over. Now, I'm not saying we ought to do that again, okay? But perhaps we have shifted too far where we become a convictionless people, right? When was the last time you felt so convicted by something because you heard God speak to you in the Word or or through a message or through community where you felt so convicted that if you didn't act on this conviction, you felt like your life was going to crumble? Rarely, rarely. So we've lost, we've lost the ability to form deep convictions in life. We're just kind of shallow people. we become a shallow group of people who just sort of go with the flow kind of a people. And I think what God is saying is if you don't learn how to hear my voice and form deep convictions in your heart, you're never going to feel the urgency to do the things that I've called you to do because you're never going to be convicted by them. Does that make sense? So one of the things I want to challenge us is to, to learn to cultivate deep convictions in our life through the Word of God, through hearing one another, and, and, and live by those convictions. Think about the great issues, right? Civil rights. Think about, think about the issues in, our, in, in, in American history, right? What if the people, the American Revolution, or whatever the big event you want to call it, well, think about it. What if, what if the people who led those movements, didn't have the deep convictions that they, they had, uh, you know, the, the right for women to vote, or, or whatever the, the, the case may be, the people who made changes in this world were people of deep convictions. William Wilberforce, right? Huston Taylor. All these people that, were, that could hear God speak to them and said, I will either do this or I will die, right? Martin Luther famously said, you know, here I stand. I, we, we, we've lost the ability to draw lines in the sand and say, if I don't do this for, um, for God, then, then I've lost the vision of what it means to live for God. I want to encourage you. I, I, this is, once again, a message for me. I want us to be a people who can hear God speak to us and be a people of deep convictions and then obey those convictions, okay? So, the, lastly, what is the root of sin of omission? The root of sin of commission is really pride and arrogance. It really is pride and arrogance. At the heart of it, Is pride and arrogance, and the first way that this pride manifests itself, as James tells us, is that we think we have more control over our tomorrows and our life than we actually do. We think that the most important factor in determining our future is our own plan and scheming, right? That we think that the most important person to plan for our future happiness is us. And I think what God is saying is, "What is your life?" You are a mist that appears and vanishes. Really? Do you really believe that tomorrow is in your control? Do you really believe that, that you know where you're going to be five years from now? You really believe that, that you're going to be able to control your health and all of these things? And we, we try so, we, there's so much that we do to, to control our own lives. And there's so much arrogance and, and that we, we display before God in thinking about the way that we make our plans and the way that we pursue our happiness in our life. And God says, have a modicum of humility about you. Understand who you are. God is saying to you, what is your life? Who are you? This is not to shame us. This is to put us in the proper place so that we may gain, get from God what we need from him. But it's this arrogance about our own ability to to write the script for our life and then to live it out. And think that we have the means and the ability to do so is blatantly prideful before God. But that's the very root of why we fail to do the things that we ought to do. And, And the second thing is related. Part of the reason that we fail to do the good that we ought to do is because... We are telling God, as 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 Pastor Jen alluded to in the original sin, we are telling God that I will determine what is good and what is evil. Okay, God, I am from this from. I'm going to tell you, God, I will tell you how much generosity is good enough. Okay, God doesn't dictate to me how hospitable I should be. I will dictate how much hospitality hospitality is adequate or sufficient for me. I feel good. I will decide how generous I will be. I will decide how much charity uh, I show or how much anything. Do you guys understand? We set the guidelines, we, th- we set the bar where we want to set it because we want to set it to make ourselves comfortable. Do you see? We are telling God, I will set the bar where I want to set it. James says it this way I, you know, today I will do this, tomorrow I will do this. Instead, James says, if the Lord wills, we will do this, we'll do this. There's no room in our life for if the Lord wills. It's, it's we, we create the bar by which we will live by. I will, I will judge myself by my own criteria. And in my own eyes, I'm fairly a nice person. In my own eyes, I do enough good things. I have enough good works. Do you guys get that? And It's all interrelated. And we hear God's voice when we feel his passion we realize how, how, how substandard our own measure our, of ourself is, the measure that we use to judge ourself is compared to what God calls us. God says, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our standards are so much lower than what he demands of us. And we're okay with it because we're, we're sort of in our arrogance. We say, I will decide what is good and right in my life, and I will decide what is evil. And we sort of live by that, and we're okay by that. So we overestimate our ability to shape our own happiness, and then we insist on determining what is right and what is wrong. So there's a lot of things in there, but basically all that is to say is that we there's things around us that make us susceptible to really be okay, not doing the things that God tells us to do, and we struggle. So I want to just give you a short application to close this time. Um, yes, I am trying to. I am training myself to. Uh, preach in a more succinct time because I think we're going to have a a much tighter window when we become Jericho Road Church. And it simply say this, if you're not intentional in doing good in your life, if you don't create space in your life, okay, that's why I think the Christian disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, includes things like almsgiving. It includes acts of charity as part of it because uh, the good works that God calls us to do Right, The good works that God calls us to do. If we don't make space in our life intentionally and participate in it on a regular daily basis or a weekly basis, make it a habit, then we are going to get lost in sort of our own hubris and our own pride and our own demand or all the demands that are in our life. We, we lose sight of it. So my, my the one application I want to leave with you is you, you have to be intentional and create space. Say, on Thursday afternoons, I will do this. I will, you know, encourage someone. I mean, whatever it takes, whatever God convicts you, make space for it and be intentional, or else it's going to get swept aside. Our name, Jericho Road, right? Do you guys know where that's from? You should, because I told you guys, so we talked about it. But, yeah, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Right? We don't want to be... The priest and the Levite, right? I mean, can you imagine the priest? The principal of Manana, right? I'm really busy. i got to get to my duties. But on my way back, I'm going to help this guy. It doesn't fly. We don't want to be the priest and Levi who fails to do the right thing. We want to be the good Samaritan who does the right thing when the opportunity affords itself. Create space. If you don't create space, if your schedule is so jam-packed that there's no way for God to interrupt you, if you're, if you're one of those people that your schedule is so tight that you don't like to deviate and there's no room for the Holy Spirit to say, pause, I don't want you to go left today, go right instead. Because I'm going to, or you meet someone, you say, well, I want to help you, but I don't have space in my life to help you. When, when we're so packed, when we're not intentional in creating space, we're just going to fly by the opportunities to do the good works that God created us to do. So that's my encouragement to you. I know there is a gazillion points to this message. I hope that the Holy Spirit spoke to you in some of these things. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will plant in you. This is a word for me. And I am I'm, I'm praying that God will plant it deep in my spirit. And that he will, he will help me. I, I, my only solace in this is that I, I can fall on the rock and say, God, have mercy. And give me the grace. And I can't do this. Absolutely not of my own strength. So God... If people are going to see changing me in this way, and I, and I want you to hold me accountable, if people are going to see changing me in this way, it's going to be because of your grace. May that be your prayer as well. Let's pray. Just take a moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He calls us by name. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said. And if we are his sheep, we will be able to discern his voice. Perhaps it's a scripture passage that will will convict you, pierce your spirit, pierce your soul. Perhaps it's a word from a friend, a prayer. But whatever it is, let God form those deep convictions. Don't push off to tomorrow what you can do today. Because one day God will hold us accountable. He will hold us accountable for not only what the sins that we committed, but the good things that we failed to do. Gracious God, we now say to you, we are a mist that appears and disappears. This is a life that you gave us as a gift. We are not the captain of our own lives. We are not the one who writes the script the best. You are. Because you love us far more infinitely than we can ever imagine. And we know that you are for us and that you're good. And that every plan and will for us is good. It's for our good and for your glory. Those two things are so fundamental to who you are, oh God. So help us to trust you, your plans. And help us to do the good works that you created us to do in Christ Jesus. Help us, O Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.